Did you realize that no matter how hard you try, there are some writing skills that you will never, ever master? But having said that, those are also the skills that you should always be trying to master. Today on Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive writer skills, we have Sean Thomas to tell us what those are and just why we should be trying to do something that, well, we probably can't. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Chavez. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Bayer. Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Products is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. While the three top riding skills that you'll never master on your motorcycle, yet you should always be trying to master, that's the focus of our rider skills today. Now, why should you care about trying to master a skill if the premise is that you can never master it? To answer that, we have Sean Thomas. Sean is a BMW certified off-road and street riding instructor, certified uh, through BMW International. He's also a BMW ambassador in the U.S., Now, Rider Skills is an exclusive program we've developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Sean, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey, thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you back. And and this time we have you in the capacity of an instructor, which you are well certified to to do instruction. It wasn't all that long ago, I think, what we talked about you getting your certification through BMW. That's true. Um, a, a couple of years ago, I went to uh, train with BMW in, in for their on-road and off-road instructor certification. So, so each one is... F- five, six days of training uh, to become an instructor to their level of skill. And it is really hard. Um, but the good news is, is I came out of it and now they consider me a certified trainer and instructor. So I can go out and, and sort of carry that moniker with me as I go. You were training before that though as well. Yeah, I've been training in one form or another since about 2005-ish, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but never recognized to the level that I am now, which is great. So in that time, 2005, long, long time ago, you've, you've trained a lot of people over the years. Do you find yourself sort of over that, that nervousness feeling? Like, cause, because one of the, the big obstacles that I think a lot of people find is when they get in a group and they're starting to learn is that pressure of, I look stupid if I can't do it. Do you, do you get that? Or you must be well over that now as an instructor. 
<laughs> I definitely get it. You do? I, uh, it's, oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, you know, when, when the scrutiny is on you and you have to perform and, and have to do it right, you know, you, you, there's always that little voice in the corner of your head saying, this is going to be when you screw up, you know, people are going to watch this and they're going to go, this guy can't ride. And, and uh, so I experience that all the time, but in a way, I think that's a really good thing because, you know, part of learning how to do something new and um, when people are there to learn how to ride a motorcycle off-road or on-road, um, there's a lot of fear that's associated with that and, and a fear that they're not going to be able to do it or they're going to get hurt or what have you. And, and I think as an instructor, it's really important to, to key in to what it feels like to be afraid in some way or another. And, you know, for me, I've been riding so long that I'm not scared of the stuff I'm teaching people, but I do have the fear that I'm going to make a mistake. And I, and I draw off of that and I think to myself, you know, like this is how they're feeling in their own way and embrace it, you know, understand it and, and use it to be a better instructor. Yeah, because that can set up sort of a, a, a mental block for you. I mean, because we, we've talked about confidence many times when it comes to rider skills and how how confidence is is a big part of your riding skills. I mean, if you don't have skills with confidence, then you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, and and you look at somebody that doesn't have the confidence to do something and an instructor that does, you know, a student will draw off of that confidence, you know, when you are able to look at them and say, I know you can do this, we can break this down a piece at a time and we can handle this together. And, and that is so important because they're looking to us as instructors to take that leap of faith. And we have to take that responsibility very seriously because, you know, that's, we we can't ever use that to push somebody beyond what we think they can really do. What's the the method that you use to try and get people comfortable, like to get over that that mental block of being worried about doing something wrong, looking stupid? So um, when I start with a new group of, of students uh, and we uh, we ride our bikes and we find ourselves in a location that uh, we're going to train in, the first thing I do is hop everybody off the bike and I and I bring them over to my bike and I lay my bike on its side and I say, we are now staring at inevitability of adventure riding. If you ride a bike off-road, eventually you're going to fall. And I'm here to tell you right here and now, it's just not a big deal. 99 times out of 100, you'll almost fall and you won't. And when you do fall 99 times out of 100, you'll only injure your pride. And this is a really important element of adventure riding. Like You're going to have to face that setback and you have to get past it. And, and let me show you how we get past it. And then I walk through the steps of dealing with a, a tip over. Um, and, and what I find is it just sort of generally relaxes people and, and makes them feel like it's going to be okay that, um, if I tip over, if I have a setback, you know, this person's telling me that that happens and we're going to get through it together. You're sort of giving them permission to go ahead and, and don't worry about it. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes we'll have two day trainings where I'll bring somebody out and we'll train all day. And, and then the next morning we all get together and I say, okay, you know, you were able to achieve a lot yesterday. Some of you told me far more than you ever thought you could off road. And you have this expectation in your mind that you're going to start today where you left off yesterday. And that's just not how it works. The reality is, is that you're um, the skills are perishable. There's going to be things you could do yesterday that you struggle with today. And that is okay. That is part of the learning process. It's going to happen. You'll get back there again faster and we'll move up. So don't worry about it. Relax, you know, have your setbacks. We'll deal with them together. You know, I've heard that before skills are perishable. And on the other hand, people will say, you know, it's like learning to ride a bicycle. You never forget how much uh, is perishable? Is it, is it all perishable? I mean, if we don't go out and do our, our training and, and uh, maybe take another course, are we going to lose everything in two, three years? I think that that's a, a real issue. And, and, you know, when I first started adventure riding, you know, when I would take my bike out on my own after being trained, 
it didn't feel right. You know, I'd go out a few days later and I'd get on the dirt and I would just feel uncomfortable. The bike would feel strange to me and I wouldn't feel that fluidity that I had when I was training. And it, I found that it, sometimes it would take me an hour or more to get back into that headspace. And as I got uh, better and better at adventure riding, I found that it was less difficult for me to sort of transition into off-road riding skill sets. And, and I think that the, the really critical moment for riders is when they're new. You know, that's when the skills are so delicate and fragile and you need to stay on top of it. But once you get it cemented in your mind, once you get that muscle memory built up, I think that the perishability of the skills starts to diminish. You know, you can now I can go months without riding off road. And, and I'll admit just to you that I do sometimes. <laughs> and <laughs> don't tell anybody. No, of and, course. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and then when I get back on the dirt, I, I pick it up really quick. You know, it's, it's, it's in my mind and the, the skills return to me very quickly, but in the beginning, that wouldn't have been the case. And that's so often the case for people. It's, it's more ingrained, I guess, with you because you've done it so many times. So, and for so many years. Yeah. It, it becomes instinct. So mm-hmm. once it's instinct, it's, but that, but still, for me, the things that still challenge me riding off-road, you know, riding in sand, riding up really steep hills, very steep descents, mud, you know, these are all skills that, that I have developed, but that I have to redevelop every time I go through one of those situations. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what we're talking about today is three skills you'll never master, but you should be trying to. When it, when it comes to a skill that we would never master, why would we keep trying to do it? Why, why do we keep trying if we can't master it? <laughs> I think that uh, the, uh, I, what, what comes to mind to me to answer that is, is a conversation that I had with my son, Drew, um, yesterday. He's 12 years old. He's um, coming into his own, you know, he's turning into a young man and he's starting to be conscious of um, things that he wants to be better at. And one of those things is how he interacts with his friends. And he came to me yesterday and he said, dad, you know, I'm trying to be nicer to my friends. I've noticed I'm not always the nicest guy and I don't want to be like that. But sometimes I really struggle with that. I like when we're playing video games and I get stressed out, I I get, I want to yell at them or I want to be mean and I got to apologize later. And, and uh, I'm, I'm just trying to be better. And, and I asked him, I said, Drew, do you know what, uh, what it means to when a doctor practices medicine or when a lawyer practices law? He says, no, I don't. He says, well, what that means is that those professionals never consider themselves to be fully uh, knowledgeable in their skill. They're always having to learn and refresh and try to be better. That's why they call it a practice. You practice being good at something. And that's what you're doing when you're working on a skill that you may think you already have down or something that you're still trying to develop is you're practicing. And, and that's, you're not always going to get it right. You're going to work at it. You're going to push yourself at it. And some days you're going to have good days and some days you're going to struggle like you've mentioned you have. And, you, and that's part of the practice. You can't beat yourself up for not getting it right every time. And I, I think that that applies really well to adventure riding. You know, there's, there's elements that we become very good at um, that become natural to us. But we can always be better. We can always find different ways to be good at what we're already good at. And that is the practice of um, refreshing your skills. Do you find that with you? Do you are, are you going out for a ride and, and going through some sort of technical bit and then afterwards thinking, I could have done that better? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, you, and, and I, I think we can all relate to this. You know, if you're, say, asphalt and you're on a twisty road and, and you blow a turn, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's a turn you've taken a hundred times before. And, but you have that thought in your mind, you know, first you go, 
well, gee whiz, you know, if there had been a car coming the other direction, when I blew that turn, I'd be in big trouble. Yeah. And, and then the other thoughts you might have is, you know, why did I do that? What is it that I did wrong? Why, where was my head at? What was my headspace? And, and so, uh, you know, taking that, analyzing it, understanding it, you know, owning it and being better at it is, is always going to be part of the game on road or off road. Because I, I guess there there is no perfect um, performer, is there? I mean, if you come to a technical spot where you're riding with your bikes, a bunch of people go through, everyone can make it through it and maybe even use slightly different techniques to get through and not proving that one is right or one is wrong, just that um, there's different ways sort of to skin a cat, I guess you could say a horrible saying, but. <laughs> well, that's absolutely true. And, and I think that it takes on a whole new connotation when you become an exceptionally skilled rider, because there is this mindset that because you've been at it so long and because you're considered so good that you're always going to be good. And you feel this internal pressure to always do it right the first time and not let anybody see you do it wrong. And, and that is just a mistake. Um, I, it's a mistake that I make. You know, how do I do this in such a way to where I look good in front of all these people that are watching me? And, and the reality is, is that we're always going to be learning and there's always going to be somebody that doesn't think they're as good as we are pointing at us going, I, I just assumed you would do that perfectly because you're like, oh, and you have to be able to go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm learning too. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's all part of it. Just, just learning and honing those skills so you can get better and better. Even if you were, I don't know, a carver, you could always get better. You may do exquisite carvings, but you can always master it a little bit better, a little bit better each time. Yeah. And what's the fun in it if you can't? Oh, yeah. If, you, if you're perfect at it, then it's boring. When do you know you're good? <laughs> That's just one question I want to put to you. When do you know you're good? When, when do you go out and go, okay, I can do this, I can do that, I'm good? <laughs> well, that's a good question because a lot of times when I think I'm good, there's a little voice in my head going, well, maybe you're just lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when I rode in Mongolia with the GS Trophy, there was 100 riders on that group. I literally 100 people on 1,200 GSs riding 2,000 miles. And it became clear after a few days in that I was the only person out of everybody there that had not dropped my motorcycle. And I knew that the riders that were there were better than me. Most of them, certainly. And, and I, but in my mind, I said, I really want to be the one rider that gets all the way to the other side of this without dropping my bike. And I made it all the way to the other side. I was the only one that didn't drop my bike. And I, and there's a voice in my head going, yeah, you didn't, but <laughs> they were pushing a lot harder and you got really lucky a couple of times, which is totally true. And <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I say embrace that little voice because that little voice is what's pushing me to keep trying to be better, regardless of the fact that I'll, in my mind, I'm telling myself I'll never get there. And that's okay. Do you think it's dangerous to assume that you're good? I think that there's uh, a lot of downsides to thinking that you're as good as you're going to get. The, the, not the least of which is that what fun is there in this sport, in this lifestyle, if you have nothing more to learn? You know, uh, when I was younger, uh, very young, I used to play this, this video game. And uh, on the game, you would, you would race a car and you'd win money and you would use that money to buy a better car. You'd race a better car. I, I wasted a lot of my youth playing this game. And I found a, a code that you could put into the game that would give you infinite money. And you could use that to buy any car you wanted. And I, I did it. I got the code. I put it, got all the money in the world in, within the game. I used it to buy the best car there was. And suddenly the game was stopped being fun 
because there was no challenge anymore. Even if I wasn't any good, I was so much faster than everybody else that I would win every time. And I just went, this game is boring. And I put it in a box and I, and I literally never played it again. And that became a life lesson to me. Why do I want to be, I, I like striving to be the best, but I like that I'll never be the best. Right. You know, I read something slightly different into that story. It has to do with with availability and if you can get away with something. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> no, that's that's a, that's a good point. Okay, so what is what's number one on your list for three skills we're not going to master, but we should be trying to. So number one, absolutely, is is balance on the bike, and. We, we all know as adventure riders and even new riders learn almost the first lesson that balance on the bike is extremely important. And what we learn is that if we stand up on the bike, we're able to better manage the machine as it moves laterally in the dirt. And uh, how you stand up and where you put your body weight is uh, very debatable, but the generally speaking, standing up and balancing is, is the right move. And the great thing about standing up on the pegs is that it is a natural instinct for us to stay balanced on the bike. If we feel it moving a little bit, we shift our weight side to side instinctively to keep ourselves balanced. But one thing that we don't do is really move our bodies around on the bike in order to maintain balance, say in a turn or when accelerating or when braking. We, we move a little bit, you know, there might be a, f- a few inches of lateral movement in our bodies, but how far can you really move on the bike before the bike is leaned over so far and your counterweight is the only thing holding it up that your arms are locked and you can't go any further? How far forward can you go on the bike before you're physically limited by the machine, by the fuel tank, by the, the windscreen, etc.? These are things that are learned skills and very perishable skills. And knowing that how to stay balanced during braking and acceleration and turning is absolutely critical to having a a safe and less exhausting ride experience. So you're, you're sort of talking about pushing the limits, I guess, of balance. So that you, so you're testing the limits so that you know where they are and you know how far you can go with the bike. Is that what you're talking about? That is exactly right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things we teach is we tell people you never want to put any weight on the handlebars. It doesn't need to be there. So uh, the, the goal of that is to say uh, where, h- how lightly can you touch the bars and still actuate the controls and steer? So that's the goal. Cause if you're holding on too tight, you're choking the bike from its natural movement. So the, the problem we pose is, okay, imagine now that you've gotten on this bike and you roll on the throttle really hard and you accelerate as quickly as you can. Now where all that inertia of acceleration, where is your body going to go? And the answer is it's going to go back. And so now you're pulling against the handlebars to get yourself upright. And you don't want that. You want to avoid that if you can. So what we teach is what we call forward to go. So we teach people to lean their weight forward as far as they can on the bike and then accelerate so that the inertia of acceleration is not pulling them against the bars. It's bringing them from a forward position back to a neutral position. And the only way to do this effectively is to get so far forward that you're, again, physically limited by the bike. I'm pressed up against the fuel tank and and my chest is almost touching the windscreen. And that allows us to stay light on the bars and accelerate. And the same goes for braking. This is not natural instinct. People don't do it. People so don't do it that they build up equipment on their bike that keeps them from doing it. They'll put a big giant bag on the passenger seat or a big giant tank bag on the front and it physically limits them from moving. This is why we don't have all this stuff this big in this place because it limits our ability to do this. 
I often think of balance as being comfortable because when, when you understand the balance of your motorcycle, when you feel balanced on it, I mean, really balanced, you're comfortable with it. You understand the limits that you're going to. Does it equate to comfort for you? I think so. You know, the, the thing about um, balance is if you're, you start to learn what parts of your body really need to hold on to the bike and when, when you're braking or accelerating or turning. And once you learn that, you learn to relax when you can. So you're not, you know, death gripping with the inside of your legs or holding on really tight with the handlebars when you don't need to. And this was the major contributing factor to me as a beginner to getting exhausted 10 minutes into the ride is I was just super tense all the time. And I learned to just relax only hold on where I need to, when I need to. And that makes it a much more comfortable ride in the long term. How do we practice balance? Like how do we learn to work with it? How do you do it when you're teaching someone? Well, typically we start by, you know, standing beside the bike when it's sitting still, of course, picking it up off its side stand and holding it as perfectly upright and balanced as we can. And what we learn is, is that there's this tiny little window of space that when you hold the bike upright, you can almost let go over the bike and it will just hang out in its own spot, at least for a second or two or three before it starts to lean one way or another and you have to catch it again. And, and the goal is to help people understand that, you know, there, there is a balance point on this bike, even when it's sitting still where it feels neutral. And if you're not in that balance point, then you're working really, really hard to keep it upright. And the same applies when you're moving. So then we, the next step is to ride as slow as you can while trying to find that tiny little balance point. And as you ride faster, that balance point window gets bigger. So as you pick up the pace a little bit, you're finding that I can now feel very neutral on the bike. I'm not having to put in a lot of effort to keep it balanced in order to go. And, and you go from there. And then, you know, again, you elevate it again when you get into turning and et cetera. Like you mentioned to me before about um, circles that you did. Can you talk about that or that you, you do for practice? Sure. So one of the things I do to keep my skills sharp is, is I find a big, flat, hard packed bit of land and I ride the bike in a continuous circle. And what I'm trying to do is get the bike to start leaning into a big, wide turn and then shift my weight to the outside um, enough to keep the bike in that balance point as it's leaning. So, and I know I have found that balance point when I'm not having to really fight against the steering in order to keep the bike balanced. My body weight becomes the counterpoint to the bike lean. And what I do is as I ride in that continuous circle, I start to tighten the circle. I lean the bike over a little further, steer a little tighter and shift my weight out a little bit further. And I keep doing that until I get to the point where I literally can't steer any tighter. The handlebars are now locked in a turn position. My weight is out as far as I can place it in order to keep the bike balanced. And I continue that turn. Then you do what everybody hates doing, which is to turn the bike in the direction that you're not comfortable with because everybody's got their favorite turn yeah. direction. You know, for me, it's left. I love turning left. Yeah. Turning right is hard for me. So um, I next take that same element and make a big wide turns and get it tighter and tighter and tighter until I've got my body bike locked and my balance point set. And then I move on to figure eights and then I move on to off camber where I'm turning and there's a little bit of a hill climb and I've now got to contend with clutch and throttle control and braking control in order to stay a smooth, continuous turn. And this helps me to keep my balance. 
And by doing this, what you're doing is you're finding those outer limits. So you know what it feels like, what it actually feels like when the bike is way over like that. And you know just how far you can go. That's the whole purpose of this, right? Yeah. And you think about like when you're riding in the sand and suddenly the bike gets kicked out in a way that you are not expecting. In order to keep that bike upright, there's a lot of things you can do wrong. And there's a few things you can do right. And one of the things you can do right is use your body weight to bring the bike back upright. But you can only do that if you know how far you can throw your body weight around. And the only way you can know that is by practicing. Right. And if you just were sitting on the bike and, and balancing at that in that tiny little zone where it's easy to balance, where you can bop it back and forth, you'll always be afraid to go outside of that. You'll, you'll never go outside of that. And when the situation comes where you're forced into it, that's where you're going to go down. Yeah. And, and then you think about, I mean, what is it the first thing that everybody tells you about riding in the sand? They go, ride fast, yeah. right? Get your weight back and go fast. And, and you go, well, wait a minute. What happens when I need to turn a corner or I need to stop because somebody fell or I need to turn around? Like none of that applies anymore. How mm -hmm. do I deal with it in that situation? And, um, and so balance becomes a really important component to dealing with that situation. The other thing I was going to throw in there about, about balance is that, and we're talking about balancing the bike, we can actually improve our balance physically in our, in our own heads. Uh, I've read research about this, that um, if you practice doing things like standing on one foot, et cetera, you can actually improve your personal balance. So that's kind of, I really like hearing that myself because, you know, you think that um, maybe you're not so good with your balance, that there's, there's a chance of improving it just through practice. And it's interesting that too, in that I, I never considered that when I work on balance practice. For me, it was always simply being in tune with the bike. But the idea that we can improve our balance simply for ourselves makes me wonder if there are other types of lessons we could do on the bike that would improve in that area more than is that I would improve just by doing circles. This, mm. this is certainly worth looking into. Yeah, Part of the practice of adventure riding, you know, you don't know everything. Yeah, it's something you can do without the bike, right? I mean, if, if it is just standing on one foot, doing those, those small balance things, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's something you can do inside. Absolutely. So. We're going to take just a quick break while I tell you about a couple of things. But stay with us. we got a lot more coming up. Giant Loop makes a ton of products for motorcycles, soft bags, panniers, tank bags, and many other things, including a nice gas bag. But they focus on the reason that you're out there, the reason you're riding your bike, exploring and challenging yourself. And that's because you love to ride. Giant Loop focuses on that ride by eliminating the unnecessary weight and bulk. Now, I like this because they focus on what's actually required for the job. They build it to exceed the purpose, to accomplish the mission, so to speak, and what you won't find on Giant Loop products are a bunch of extra straps and buckles that have no real purpose. I mean, we've all seen those backpacks that, that people have where all the straps are hanging, dangling off and buckles everywhere. There's no reason for them. They just get in the way and they make a chaos of, of really a simple idea. Go light, go fast, go far is the Giant Loop motto. Get out there and explore with equipment that is durable, light, and purpose-built. GiantLoopMoto.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. That's GiantLoopMoto.com. You know, you use them every time you get on, every time you get off your bike, every time you ride down the highway, every time you ride a dirt road, and particularly every time you stand. Yes, I'm talking about your foot pegs. That's your major contact point for your motorcycle. 
Don't skimp. This is an area where you want the best. You want to look at IMS products. IMS products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, everything from their super wide ADV1 and ADV2 pegs on down to their core enduro pegs. They've got a peg that will suit your style, that will add some leverage and control and certainly traction for your feet to your ride. It's one of the most, one of the best improvements I think you can do to your bike. And it's kind of interesting because it doesn't seem like a real exciting one. Believe me, when you put them on your bike, like I found, it's a huge difference. It's night and day. IMSproducts.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, Sean, what's number two? So number two for me, and this is tough because it's hard to pick the top three, but number two is, I think, brake control. And this is another area where, um, where I find people have far more potential than they know they have. You know, how many times have I taught um, beginners and advanced students and I've asked them, what's the best brake to use when you are riding off-road? And I always get a chorus of rear brake, rear brake, rear brake, rear brake. And that is just not true. Now, there are times when the rear brake is the right brake to use, but it's it's in the minority by far. The front brake is king off-road. You just got to use it right. And so what I find is that people don't know to use the front brake as much as you think they would. And when they do, they don't know how to use it properly. And then on top of that, they don't necessarily know how to take advantage of the technology that bikes are coming with now. So understanding what is my best braking method and how extreme can I get with that braking method in varying circumstances? You know, if you're in gravel or if you're in sand or if you're going uphill or downhill and, and practicing those in order to be uh, the best and safest stop you can get. Well, how about an example? When you, how would you teach this? So typically what I do with people is I teach them, number one is how to do um, a trail stop. And I, and I explained to them, you know, a trail stop is stopping and then going again without putting your feet down. And we're going to do that using just the front brake. So, so a momentary stop, you're talking, you, you slow right down, you stop, you balance, and then you go again. That's exactly right. And so, so I teach people how to very slowly, we're going to learn how to utilize the front brake. And I, and I say the word of the day when you're using the front brake is squeeze. You want to squeeze the front brake. We do not use words like grab because um, the physics of the bike demands that when you apply the brake, you give enough time for the weight of inertia to press down on the front tire and get it biting into the earth before you give it a good grip. And so teaching people how to squeeze the front brake so that the front end can dive forward and the, and the tire can start biting into the earth, give you exceptional grip, and then taking advantage of that grip by squeezing the front brake more. And so we typically will work starting with that, okay, just front brake and then just rear brake, and then properly utilizing both brakes to make the most effective stop. When you're talking about um, using the front brake, and you said the front brake is king. I'm sure a lot of people are, are going to be shaking their head going, why is the front brake king off-road? But it's for the same reasons that it is on-road, isn't it? That, that's exactly right. It's all about where the weight is at. You know, the first thing that anybody experiences on a motorcycle on-road or off-road when they apply the brakes is they feel the weight of the bike shift forward. If you have a bike with conventional suspension, you'll feel what everybody refers to as brake dive, right? The bike, the front end compresses as the weight shifts to the front wheel. Mm -hmm. If you apply the rear brake, you're still getting weight to the front end of the bike. 
So applying the rear brake, you're still getting that weight shift to the front, which makes the rear end even lighter. So now the rear end, combined with the fact that you've got this giant boot on and you're trying to apply the brake, it's a very binary brake. It's usually kind of on or off. Yeah, there's middle ground in there too, but it's hard to master. So, um, so typically what happens is people get it into their heads that if you apply just the front brake, what's going to happen is the front end is going to wash out from underneath you and the bike's going to tip off um, and fall down. And, and that is true if you do it improperly. But if you do it right, um, you can, you'll stop very, very effectively. We just did a, a video where we said, okay, we're going to stop a bike going 25 miles an hour in the dirt using just the front brake, just the rear brake and using both brakes. And we measured the distance. And by going from just rear brake to just front brake, we cut the distance in half. and went from 67 feet to 30 feet and change. Mm-hmm. Just because of that weight shift and that bite of the tire to the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes, and really your, your rear brake for dirt, you're using that mainly for steering. Yeah, absolutely. And you can use it for steering. You can use it for, you know, if you're riding extremely low speeds and you're trying to do maneuvering and you don't want that weight shift to be so aggressive to the front and destabilize the bike, then the rear end, the rear brake is really, really helpful. If you know how to be easy on it, you're going up a hill and you need to stop. The rear brake becomes king because all of the weight of the bike is at the rear. If you stop on a hill and you try just to use the front brake, you'll just skitter backwards. And that's, um, you know, so knowing your circumstances and knowing the incline and knowing the terrain is really, really important. The, the brake thing for people practicing on their own, it's all about modulation, isn't it? It's all about learning to apply the brake and uh, understand the force that you're putting on it. Yeah, modulation is really important. And this is a very interesting thing because, you know, it's you think about cars now, you know, cars have developed a new technology where the car will slow itself down if you are not uh, paying attention to the road and you come up on traffic, right? So now we have beeping and we have brakes, we have lane departure warnings. Now, none of this is solving the problem. The problem is, is that people are paying attention to their phone instead of driving this um, and they're, they're not stopping. They can't stop that. So they're solving the symptoms instead. And we're seeing this same thing in motorcycle tech too. Braking off road is very tricky business. You have to learn how to do it properly. And so what we're seeing now is technology is starting to step in to help us to do it properly. So I'm talking about anti-lock braking systems and ABS pro systems and parcel integral braking systems. All of this is there so that when we brake improperly, the bike can do its best to help us protect ourselves. But the reality is, is that, you know, an hour of proper training for a new rider and you can usually teach them how to use the brakes properly um, in an off-road environment and be safe without the tech. How do you feel about the the tech that comes in? Like, I mean, because we're looking at, the, like you mentioned, the, the braking, traction control. And when that first came out, it was, oh, that's horrible for off-road. And it was true. Now, as you mentioned, there's, there's technology that's, that's adapting things. They've got different modes that you can use. Mm-hmm. That, that makes us, well, makes us better riders. And I'll give you my example. My example is, you know, we have an, an older Jeep and it has uh, what they call stability control. And boy, does it make me look like I can really handle the vehicle. You know, <laughs> If I go around a corner and surprise and it slides out, it's not a problem. I can correct it easily because the computer does it for me, right? So I mean, <laughs> what do you feel about that coming into motorcycling where it, um, it certainly makes the skill level or the entry level much lower? Uh, you know, I may be in the minority, certainly as an instructor, for saying that I love the tech. I love it. 
I almost never turn any of it off. And most of my colleagues and peers do, and they teach their customers to as well. But I just don't think that's necessary. It is. It used to be that it was a pretty clumsy stuff, but uh, manufacturers are learning and they're getting better. And you're combining that with the fact that these bikes have so much more torque and power and braking force than they used to, that without the tech, it becomes a very unwieldy machine. So I am all for it. And I tend to teach people how to use it when I'm instructing. And I use it almost all the time. And just, you know, every once in a while, I want to show off and do a long standing wheelie and I got to turn off traction control to do that. Um, but, the, but then I turn it right back on again. <laughs> but that's not street track. You've got a bike that has, I mean, it's like you mentioned about the car. You said, you know, cars are, when you approach traffic, it slows down. I'm thinking my, our, our Jeep doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my, both my mom and my mother-in-law, um, I helped them buy cars recently. And that has become a, uh, a standard technology on new cars, lane departure warnings and braking warnings. And, and I'm personally very happy. I've seen my my mom drives. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing to have. And, and if you understand how the tech works, then it, it can really benefit you. And I, and I feel like this is where manufacturers do such a terrible job of letting people know what the tech does for them. A lot of times the tech, like on new bikes, uh, you know, the EU five regulations in Europe say that a bike that is street legal and riding on the road cannot have disengageable ABS brakes anymore. You, oh. It has to be on, period. And so like the new GSs, for example, are coming with that tech. You can no longer completely shut off the ABS on both wheels. And we're seeing other manufacturers, they have to go there in order to be compliant worldwide with their machine. And so a lot, you know, from an instructor's point of view, a lot of constructors are saying, well, this is terrible news because you need to turn off the ABS in order to ride effectively in the dirt. And I, and, and, and I say, no, you don't. The ABS is very helpful in the dirt. It only gets in the way when you're in a situation where you've, you're really in trouble. For, for the most part, you don't even know it's there. Mm. So you're thinking that the ABS that companies are coming out with now is good in all, all conditions off-road? It would never, like yeah, this, the, this bike that you can't turn it off? So, you know, one of the issues with ABS has been that when you're applying the brakes in the dirt, um, as you apply the brakes and the weight starts to shift forward, you find yourself in a really critical moment because you have to apply enough brake to get the front end to shift down and get that weight planted on the front wheel. You don't want to apply too much brake because if you do, the front end will lock up before the weight of the bike can shift forward. So that's the squeeze technique. And what we have found is that with ABS systems, they were intervening before the bike had a chance to list forward and get its front tire down. And this was what the major cause of issues were, is you would get that chatter before the front end really bit. And what they have done now is they've retuned ABS so that there is now an off-road version. And the off-road version of ABS, when you apply the front brakes, the ABS system is delayed. It doesn't kick in until the front end really has a chance to bite. And then when it does bite, the, the uh, ABS pulse rate is slower. So if on the asphalt you hear this of ABS on the dirt, you'll hear tick, 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 tick the ABS is not kicking in as aggressively. And this helps you break effectively, but people don't know that. They just go turn it off and ride without it. Mm, yeah. And using names like stability control, that tells you nothing. It doesn't, t- doesn't explain what the thing does at all. Exactly. And you've now come to understand what the cornerstone of my career has been is helping people to understand that technology and how it works for them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a balance in the number one position, brake control in the number two. Are, are these in order of importance? 
You know, they're kind of not. Um, and, and I'll tell you that the one that I really struggled with was whether or not to understand the tech on your bike, uh, because that is becoming such an important factor now. You know, how, how often do you have people come to you and say, what's the best tire for me? And, and you know, they, if you post that online, the, the you know, you'll get 150 answers, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and everybody has an opinion on this subject. Um, but the, the real question is, you know, what are you doing with it? How are you riding with it on road versus off road? Um, how many, how much distance are you looking to get out of it? You know, realistically speaking, and what tech do you use? Because a bad tire now can be largely overcome with good tech. If you have a tire that's really hard and longevity based tire, and it doesn't have very good traction, then the bike is going to do its best to intervene. It's not making traction appear out of nowhere, but it makes the best use of the existing traction. So I find that if I'm advising somebody on tires and they understand the tech and they use it, then I can represent, I can say, if you use the tech, this is the tire I recommend. If you don't like to use the tech, then I would recommend this one instead. Mm, so it's a big part of it. Okay. You snuck that one in. So, so the tech <laughs> one, you snuck in. We got balance. We got brake control. <laughs> what you can say? And then the third one is, is throttle control. Right. And, and, you know, there's just so many magical things that you can do with the throttle on the bike. Of course, you know, other than making forward momentum, you can use the throttle to steer. Um, if you understand balance, for example, and you understand how to lean the bike properly. Um, of course, uh, with gear you ride in and how much torque you're using based on the kind of shift, you know, if you're stuck in the sand, we would teach people like it may not necessarily be the right mode to have the bike in first gear. When you try to get out, it's better to sometimes have it in second gear. So you have a lot less torque on the rear tire. It makes it bite a little bit better and you can work your way out um, using the throttle and the clutch more effectively. So throttle becomes a really important element. Is it throttle and clutch? Would, would you put those two together? I think so. I think yeah. that, um, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking the danger of cramming yet another one in there, but, you know, <laughs> clutch and throttle and, and the marriage between the two is, is so important. And, uh, yeah, they sort know, of go together, don't they? I mean, they really know. do. Yeah. Uh, you got to have, you know, the, you know, an, an under an intimate understanding of both and knowing, you know, how, how to use them effectively, how to use them smoothly and within their effective zones. Do you have an example of, of where, um, incorrect throttle would get a certain result, whereas correct throttle would get something different? Sure. So, you know, imagine uh, a new rider on a trail learning how to manage a bike off-road, whether or not they're, they're in lesson or they're just out on their own. What I find to happen is people stand up on the bike because they know from watching TV or watching YouTube videos that you're supposed to stand when you ride off-road. So they have this sort of clumsy stance that they've applied when they're riding the bike in the dirt. And something happens that spooks them. And it could be very little. It could be a little bit of drift to the wheel. It could be an obstacle on the road. And the first thing people do is they tense up. So number one, I'm now I'm scared. My body's tense. The second thing they do is they go back to their roots of motorcycle riding, which is almost always street riding. So they sit down. And what happens is they sit down and all that tension translates to them having a death grip on the throttle. And as they sit, they roll on the throttle and then they take off like a bat out of hell (laughs) with this throttle on and they're panicking. So they reach out and try to apply the brakes, but they don't let off the throttle. You know, and all this, all it takes is a second or two of this to cause a major accident. So um, throttle control and understanding what's happening and understanding how to stay loose on the throttle is very, very important to avoid situations like that. And I will admit to you that I still do that sometimes. <laughs> you mean sitting down? Yeah. Like all uh, uh, the other day I was riding with a group of friends and we went through a water crossing 
And my uh, friend directly behind me had been complaining about how hot it was. And I thought, you know, this would be a really good opportunity to, to help, uh, help my friend by cooling him down. <laughs> so I decided to give the throttle a little bit of a blip. And it was this really sort of murky, slippery ter- underwater train. It was very mossy. So I figured, uh, you know, a, um, a little bit of water and a little bit of moss on him to sort of exfoliate his skin. You know, that's a, people pay for that, you know, sure. so I was really going to help him out. So I hit the throttle, not realizing that I was going over the one little patch underwater that was really high grip. So I expected my rear end to slip and slide. And I had positioned my body for that slip and slide, but it didn't. Instead, it hooked up and it sent my front wheel up in the air and it sent me back on the seat. (laughs) And I pinned the throttle in the process and continued this epic wheelie all the way until I crashed. Oh, oh, which no. which I totally crashed. And I'm not going to tell you how bad it was, but there was a not insubstantial bruise as a consequence of my tip over. And I felt like a total idiot, but it was just one of the situations where, you know, I wasn't thinking about throttle control and I wasn't keep making sure that my body was in the right place to contend with that sort of thing. And, and I paid the price for it. Well, and I guess the other lesson is, is don't try and soak your buddy. Yeah. And, and also <laughs> don't tell anybody I said that. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I that's people just- to, John Strickland between us. Don't you worry. Sure. It's not going to get out from here. So throttle control is huge. I mean, you look at uh, trial riding, right? I mean, that, that's all to do with throttle control. I mean, the stuff they do with those bikes now is just incredible. It's unbelievable. The The last GS trophy qualifiers we had, the two top riders or two trophies to go, our two top riders were trials riders. And they get on these massive machines. And I just can't believe how they maneuver them. And that is all about balance brake control, throttle control, clutch control. Like mm-hmm. those four elements perfected make you do things on a bike that are just absolutely unbelievable, way beyond my skills. It's really, really good stuff. Well, Sean, to, to wrap things up here, to, to finalize this, the three skills that you'll never master, but you should be trying to. Do, do you have any sort of parting <laughs> advice for people that are trying to do these things? <laughs> I think that um, my, my first thought about what you should do is is don't, don't bite off too much. It doesn't, you don't need a major off-road course in order to practice these skills. Most of what you need to know, you can learn on a flat hard pack surface. You think a half of a football field of, of hard pack dirt, brake control, balance control, throttle control, all can be worked on in a location like that. Once you really feel comfortable with it, then you can move into places with inclines and descents and varying types of, of, of uh, traction. But, but start with the basics. It's what I do and it works really, really well. And I always think of when I think of that sort of things is um, do it in a place where you think you can handle the worst case scenario. You know, if it, like you're saying, is if it's a flat surface, you can handle it. But if it's a rocky trail, the consequences are going to be much greater. Yeah. And, you know, we do adventure riders a disservice by posting only photos of bikes on one wheel or bikes in the air or bikes drifting. You know, and the reality is, is that adventure riding is just as fun when you're on the easy stuff, it's just not fun to look at photo wise. So don't just don't think you have to go out there and do the crazy stuff in order to be a good rider. You can start with the basics in a basic environment and work your way from there. Did you post any pictures of your, your boat through the water there where you did the wheelie? <laughs> you mean that promise that one you promised never to share? <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> just let that you know, go. there's probably a picture of the aftermath somewhere. And I, and I'll tell you, I had a bruise from just above my knee to just under my armpit. I mean, it was really, really painful. There's no doubt there's photos because you were riding with other people. And of course, the first thing they're going to do is pull their camera. Yeah. Shenanigans ensues. Uh, yeah. Never, never a dull moment with my riding buddies. 
Sean, that was really fun. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and I enjoyed learning this stuff from you. Thanks, Jim. It was my pleasure. I'll come back anytime. That was Sean Thomas, and we've got a bunch of great photos from Sean in the show notes for this episode on AdventureRiderRadio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, GreenChiliADV.com, MotoBreeze Chain Oiler at MotoBreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at CyclePump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. If you're not doing it already, there's a lot of people, I mean a lot of people that listen to this show every single week, but only a very small fraction of them ever support the show. Well, we need you to step up and support. AdventureRiderRadio.com is the website. Click on support. Now, don't don't forget, we also put out another show. comes out monthly. We have another one coming out, I think, next week. That's Adventure Rider Radio Raw. That's roundtable talks about motorcycle travel. And, and basically, we say anything else that crosses our mind. It's great fun. Drop in and subscribe to that separately. There's information on our website about Raw as well. Now, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you next week. I'm David Peterson with Best Rest Products, and you're listening to Adventure Writer Radio. (laughs) 